Welcome to another Friday night weekly review here at Sanctuary First. It's Albert Bogle here and it's great to have a great team. We've got a fantastic team this evening and we're going to have a great time together. Uh, how is everyone this evening? Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome especially to our special guest coming in is Alec Shuttleworth. Uh, and we're going to be talking to Alec about uh, a new ebook that we've been publishing through Sanctuary First. And James Jack Steele is going to be talking a wee bit about the collaboration that both of them have had on that ebook. And then we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, some of the work that James Cathcart's been doing this week, some of the prayers and the reflections. And then a little bit more maybe about the secret chord sessions. And uh, just, yeah, in general, just talking a bit more about life and how things are going. And are you looking forward to the, the continual uh, opening up of our lives back to normal again, if it's possible? We're going to be thinking a bit more about that. So anyway, what kind of week have you had? I always go to you, Laura, first, because I know that you're always ready to just give us the answer. <laughs> I've had a good week, so I have. I feel, I think maybe I've been um, picking up on the the collective energy, I think, within the country. I feel a bit more, I feel myself. I feel that, you know, I haven't quite been myself for a while. And this week I actually noticed, I thought, well, I'm feeling myself again. So I think it's this, you know, as things lift a wee bit, I think there's this kind of collective energy that's, you know, there's something shifting. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling good. I've been enjoying getting out in the garden. It's a, bit, a wee bit of better weather this week, so I've been repotting. My mint, though, seems to have like exploded. So it's like wee mini trees of mint that are now oh. all over the garden. <laughs> I dug my mint out and put it in the bin because you get too much of it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to make some toothpaste. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make toothpaste. What sort of what sort of mint is it? Is it spearmint or or peppermint? Do you know, or is it just one or the other? Doesn't you? Know? It's peppermint, so it is. So uh, I'm, I'm, I love the smell of mint. Oh, it's just it reminds me of summer. It does. Don't tell me you can grow natural spearmint. That's an artificial <laughs> thing. You can't grow natural spearmint. Ian, you don't just pick it off and chew it. It's not like it's not like in the wee foil packets. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been doing all these years. I've also got no, going as well, so I'm going to, um, I've never grown these before, I don't even know like how I'll know that they're, they're um, ready for harvest, so I'm potting the more, so I'm waiting for whenever they get the kind of spiky things. <laughs> I'm sensing a new Sanctuary First horticulture channel coming out of this. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's my Well, listen, can I tell you, I bought my ladders this week. I have oh. bought this amazing set of ladders. They're four meters high, and they're a tripod. They're three feet wide at the bottom and a foot wide at the top. And uh, and I was up uh, checking my apple trees today uh, up sixteen feet. How's wow. you like that? Oh, that's fabulous. And my neighbour was a wee bit worried. He started to say, he said, he said, is this, have you now got binoculars? <laughs> Don't you be looking into my windows. <laughs> so often I dip into this world and think, what bizarre people you all are. You know? 
I love the smell of mint in the morning, like some sort of vegetarian apocalypse now from Jack. And you're, a, you're spying on your neighbours from, well, you know, from, a, from, a, from, from a metric measured ladder, which you climb, I notice, because of your age, in imperial standard. <laughs> it's quite a confusing world we all live in, isn't it? Do you know, there was a time when I spent my Friday nights in the pub. <laughs> and I'm really not sure which is better. I was going to say, Ian, is it much different? <laughs> not really, not really. I mean, really, that's no different at all. My dad went one further and built a pub. That's what he's done in the lockdown. He's, he's disguised it by calling it a summer house. But really, there's a keg in there with a draft flow pump. I'm pretty sure it's just a pub. It looks Good like a man. salute bar from the Westerns. <laughs> the, uh, man. Our children refer to this back sitting room now as Pacific Key. Because of all the, <laughs> all the production stuff that's now in here. That I've been buying for years and years. And Margaret said, what's that for? Well, that's very important. That's, a, that's an essential thing that I need. And I really didn't. But I'm using all of it now. It's so you see, I told you I needed that. You know, it's, it's the equivalent of, oh, this old thing. I've had it for ages. <laughs> That's the technical equivalent that I'm living through at the moment. <laughs> Stay there. No. Okay, what kind of week have you had, Ian? What's, what's the National Health Service? I mean, things are, are improving. We're all in a... Things are, things are definitely looking up, um, you know, in terms of the, the, the certainly in Ayrshire, the R number is, is down. Um, the we've got almost no people in hospital with COVID and nobody in ITU, um, at least at the last count that, that I looked at, which was only a few days ago. Um, so it's looking good in Ayrshire at the moment. I, I mean, I think that there's a wee tiny wee pessimistic part of me that comes in and says, well, uh, we're all starting to mingle again now. And if you look at every single other country in the entire world, uh, you'll find that the infectivity then starts to rise up again um, but as long as we've learned some lessons from the first goal then hopefully the second goal won't replicate what happened in 1919 uh, 19, um, after a Spanish flu so that would be my fervent hope and desire that is that people would have learned lessons um, I think mm. in the practice footfall is still we have to keep it low I think people don't understand that we actually have to keep it low it's not because we want keep it low it's we have to um so what you know that that's quite a different way of being a doctor from what i'm used to i'm used to sitting and shooting the breeze with people and and getting to the right diagnosis um but this whole telephone thing has kind of been imposed upon us by circumstance um but again nothing wrong with that when i've known people for many years uh, they can tell, I, I, can, I hopefully can tell if they're really worried on the phone uh, and vice versa if, you know, if I seem concerned about a symptom they've got. So all in all, we are beginning to come out of the crisis. The problem is it was bizarrely easy enough to get into the crisis because it was a very stark thing. If we don't do this, people will die in droves. Mm. But coming out of the crisis is a bit more complicated um, because that's what services do we really need? You know, what does the NHS actually have to do in the um, modern world? You know, what, what place does the NHS have? Because it can no longer be all things to all people. There simply aren't enough doctors, there aren't enough nurses, there just isn't enough facility. Uh, so how do we come out of this 
in a more streamlined way. And the other part of that is, which is unpopular, but also true, what bits of the NHS, what bits of people's clinics, what bits of <coughs> the work that we do didn't really need to be done. It didn't no. actually have to be done. Um, you know, they're running about the hospital with, um, you know, old old fashioned carts full of notes. Was that really necessary in the year 2020? But it still went on in the year 2019. Is that really necessary? Is that, is that amount of time, are we ready to waste that again? Um, I would put it to everybody that no, it's not. We've got a new beginning, a chance for a new beginning and a chance for a way to really deliver what people need. Um, and what people need is maybe not what our political masters want you to want. Want is different from need. And the NHS is funded for need and it always was. Nairon Bevan, um, he, he funded the NHS for need. Um, and we need to get back to an NHS that deals for people's needs. And we do it, we, I think we do it so very well. And my colleagues have done it amazingly through this outbreak and mm. will do it amazingly again because the winter is coming, um, to quote Game of Thrones, but it is coming. Winter's coming. We've got the summertime now. We've got a month or two's grace. And then winter's coming and the virus is going to come back and the normal flu is going to come back and all the winter illnesses are going to come back. Uh, so we need everybody to be um, finding their metal. I think before I stop my little diatribe about how this week's been for me, mm. it would be to say that it, what, what I've noticed is the, the little stresses and the little cracks and the seams, um, I, I begin to see them appear even in my own practice and amongst my own friends and colleagues, the tiny little cracks that say we've, we've been under low grade stress for such mm. a long time that it's like steam escaping from a pipe. Little cracks appear. People have arguments with each other they didn't really have before um, because we were all in crisis and fight mode. And now there's a little respite. We think, do you know what? I haven't had a holiday for months. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a day off for months. You know, I haven't had a week where I haven't read about bloody COVID every mm -hmm. single day. Um, do you know what I mean? And, and that tells on people after a while. Um, and I think that we're beginning to see little seeds of that. Um, and we need to be mindful of it and compassionate and caring and almost redouble our efforts in compassion and understanding between ourselves. So uh, that's been my week. My week's been uh, thinking about these things and reflecting on these things. Uh, I wonder if I could uh, jump to you, Alec, at this point. Uh, you know, just hearing Ian talking about his his work as a GP, as a parish minister. Uh, do you can you identify with some of the other similarities in what you're hearing Ian saying? Uh, yes. And in, in, in where you are at? Yes, very much indeed. Um, a couple of things. First of all, going into lockdown is so easy. You just lock the door and you're done. Coming out of it is enormously complicated. I've had a, a call this week from an elder who thinks that we're starting services again in the church uh, a, week, a week on Sunday. It's just not going to happen. The stress is beginning to tell. In the, in the kind of cycle of the traditional Church of Scotland life, you know, God goes on his holidays when the guild finishes, and we don't see him again until about September. You know, That's mm -hmm. the way we work. And as a minister, the months are... Yeah, from, from the school holidays through to about September, kind of golden because you don't have to be causing trouble anywhere. You can be 
you can be saving your energy and, and, and kind of storing yourself up for the busy times which do come. The problem is that um, because we're now getting more uh, au fait and easy and, ha and uh, comfortable with the technology, there are some real nuisance people around who want to have meetings. And I've spent the past couple of weeks in more meetings uh, than anybody has any right being in. And I find, I find this as a meeting medium incredibly stressful, actually. And some of these have gone on for quite a long while. And so there's a kind of catch up that's going on just at the time when emotionally you want to be slowing down. And mm -hmm. that I think is where, and I, uh, ministerial colleagues are, uh, are finding it. I've, I got calls out the blue from a couple of retired ministers who've just felt that they're, 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 uh, they're calling at the moment just to phone people and say, how are you? How are you doing? And, and those calls make a huge difference. And for some people, they are, they are life-saving calls. I mean, the, the interesting thing that we've, the, that we've been told is that so the real problem for mental health, for those who've been working in what I like that expression, you know, of low-level stress for so long, is not going to be next week, week after November, but look at next May, June, and July, because a lot of this will be coming back, uh, coming back in to pursue us then, when we're really having to pick up a whole lot of slack that we that we haven't had at the moment. Not that we've not been busy, but we've been busy with other things. So yes, it is a it is a kind of strange time. But on the other hand as well, and, and, and I'll finish here, I, I, my service on Sunday, I was talking about this. I was saying, you know, don't be content when you ask somebody how they are and they say they're fine. Just ask them again. You know, it's the second time you ask them and, and engage in conversation. And a couple of members, a couple of elders, in fact, considered this to be some sort of creed occur on my part and phoned me up on Monday, terribly concerned that I was, you know, in a bad place, which I wasn't. But actually to receive those calls, even though, I wasn't in that place, it was enormously encouraging. And a couple of kids from the Sunday school even this chose this week to stick a card to the door saying, uh, we're on school holidays now, thank you for story time, we've enjoyed it, and I hope you're going to have a lovely summer. Uh, these things that we can do, little things we can do for each other, mm -hmm. are, are so important. Uh, we, mm -hmm. And we're kind of strategic thinkers. But actually, you want to lift the phone, you want to write a note, you want to put an arm around someone's shoulder now that you can and say how are you getting on because that's what's going to make the difference. Jack, I'm just, uh, it's, James, I was just thinking have about you, you Have you enjoyed doing your... Um... Carry on, Jack, what were you going to say? I was just going to ask Alec how, if, if you enjoyed doing, because he's got a mountain of work with these, he's doing one every day with the Light in Our Darkness um, yeah. videos. And you've got seven every week you're editing and coming up with new message and, a, and they're lovely they're very short and succinct and I, I've really thoroughly enjoyed them. The other the, the thing that caused me the, the thing that caused me the most uh, work stress fun enough was the daily reading of a story for the children uh, and that was because every day at two o'clock live whatever else you were doing whatever else you intended to be I was sitting in this seat talking to that camera reading a story and then because of copyright issues the last <laughs> three weeks I actually wrote the story and I wrote it day by day for the grown-ups, you know, for the bigger children, a story about a pirate. And honestly, you've got to find a cliffhanger every day and there's no plot consistency from beginning to end. And I was sitting up at the five o'clock in the morning going, how am I going to get this girl out of this trouble now? The, the pirate's what not being a pirate. pirate next? 
Well, he became a customs officer in disguise and went back to being a privateer. And uh, it was good fun. I mean, it was great fun. And there's a whole book waiting to be edited there. So, yes, and that's, but in that sense, you see, that your, your normal work life is not normal. Um, but now we are now, because of our local situation here, we're merging three presbyteries. That will happen on the 1st of January. I'm, I'm the convener of that group. So that, that's a lot of work. We, we're, we're looking at the future of ministry. And of course, it has to be said again, one of the benefits, the golden uh, silver linings of this cloud is that people are now able to think more creatively about how church is done without taking away the important mm. local elements of it, mm. without the fanciful notion that you can do it entirely online without physical contact. Nonetheless, people are more prepared to accept that maybe they won't see a minister every week. Maybe they'll see a sermon online or, or, or on a screen. So. Oh, 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 that's quite exciting. But I'm, I'm, I'm not in a bad place or anything, but it is an interesting time to, to quote the non-existent Chinese curse. Mm. See if I can move over to, to James. I was just thinking about those listening in. We're getting different perspectives from different people. But James, you're a young dad, young family, you know, again, being locked down. How, is, how, how difficult has that been? It's one of these strange things that there's been some positives to it as well. You know, as a dad, I've had a lot more time probably with my daughter than I would have had um, if it wasn't for the lockdown. And I think um, I was in an antenatal group and a lot of the other dads are in the same kind of place where actually, you know, due to these circumstances, which nobody wants, um, there's actually led to more family time um, than we might have expected to get. Um, which has been really nice. And there's also a way in which, you know, it's hard to have an existential crisis about the state of the world when an app needs change, you know, and there's something so immediate about my daughter's needs and how much she just needs me there and to do stuff and to show up. They can really short circuit some of the, the problems. And I've had, you know, issues on and off with mental health and anxiety and all the rest of it. And I, I'm the sort of person who I would have thought I'm not going to cope with like constant global confirmation that there are, you know, things to worry about. But actually, my daughter has been an enormous help with that. And it doesn't mean it's not been incredibly tiring and grim and actually quite awful sometimes. But there's been a way that she's kind of kept me going, really, because she's just so delightful and interested and uh, her big achievement this week has been cups uh, you know so like stacking cups because uh, we just brought it into the rotation to like just another toy but they actually totally freaked her out initially the idea that something can go inside and come out you know it's these things you don't don't occur to you i just stuffed one of her other toys inside it and she thought i was a magician and just really freaked out by it um and so it's been but then just this afternoon she was stacking them up and well she wasn't actually stacking them up i was doing that uh, of course she's too young to stack but then she would knock them over so that i could stack them again and, um, and, so it has and, been, it's been really, really delightful. Um, and so it is with God and us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's Actually, a pretty neat think, analogy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the child thing ever uh, changes. My son's on home at home on leave from the Royal Navy at the moment, and he's 25 right. years old. And actually, it's great to have him around the house for a fortnight because you know he's going away in a couple of days. But, but he, he, he brought home a form of um, Ludo called Utters that they play in the Navy, which is, it's like Ludo, but it's far more, you know, it's more sophisticated. And it's just huge fun. And, right. and for the first time for I don't know how many years, Jack and Amy, my daughter, and myself have sat around a board throwing dice mm -hmm. and playing this stupid, 
highly engaging, exciting thing. It takes people to take you out of yourself. Yes. You know, whether it's a small child with cups or, or, or a Ludo board that's been turned by, you know, sailors into something a bit more severe than normal game of Ludo. <laughs> and if you've ever played Uckers, look it up online. It's, it's worth having Uckers. a go. It's great fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Jack, I don't want to leave you out because, I mean, we've got to hear what, what's your week been like and uh, how are you coping with all this? Oh, oh, pretty good. Um, it's been it's it's been more or less not that bad for me because I'm freelance in my normal work. I mean, a lot of the sort of stuff I normally do, which is go out and shooting uh, photography, and I, I, I do some theatre stuff. So I can't all of that shut down and all of that stopped. But um, I've been able to do sort of remote work for certain clients. Um, Sanctuary first, of course. Um, mm -hmm. But which have you, you've managed to you've kept me busy, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, no, I've been able to do work for other clients as well and design stuff um, remotely. So I don't know, and I normally work from home. And the, I suppose the only exception would be I would go down to a coffee shop perhaps and work for a bit, and I miss the kind of social interaction of being able to go out and shoot and create new material. But other than that, it's not it's not too bad from my perspective. Um, I'm I'm in with my. Um, parents at the moment so I've got company I'm not on my own whereas before the lockdown I was actually just about to I was back from Edinburgh and was just about to go and uh, look at Glasgow uh, but I'm glad I didn't before the lockdown because I would have been a wee bit kind of on my Todd yeah um, okay no it's been pretty good listen okay just talking about that um thinking about people on the own and all that's been coming the the, the baby um the, the the baby bear uh, was quite a a revelation and was really very popular. Uh, we had we had thousands of hits on that whole story. And uh, Jack, do you want to say a wee bit about how you and 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 uh, Alec have been getting together to publish this little ebook? Yeah, so Al, 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 Alex. Um got the story that we have published already, which was the um, the little granny bear and the little bear. And um, and we turned that into the video that everyone, I, I'm sure, has, has, has seen by now. Um, but we thought would it be good as, the, as a book that people, because people like to, well, you know, maybe be able to comment on this, James, as a father, as, well, as a new father, as with a young child, you know, that um, you want to be able to read the story yourself to your mm. kids. Um, so that's what we that's what we that's what we kind of did. So we took the, the the words from Alex's story and just uh, formed them into a into a real book that you that will be able to get printed and and the idea is um, that you'll be able to have it as a digital book as well with curling pages. And I just actually before this meeting um, at where we come on to this spoke to uh, Neil from Sanctus Media and he's got a great solution to so that we can have a digital book where pages that look, curl at the edges and he says it'll look like a real book but digital so so there oh, we go so that, that'll be great oh, that's a nice touch that little bit of curl in the corner that's nice definitely yeah Ali can we put with your put with your kind of um, what was your brainwave for get thinking about the the the, the, the granny bear you <laughs> it was. You said, I didn't, Alec, I want a story about Sunday, something for the children, about <laughs> missing their grandparents, and uh, like all the, I like all these things. I've said this before. I, I I enjoy jobs that are hugely difficult, but have to be done half an hour ago, and and you know the deadline stuff is is great. 
So, it, I mean, it, it, I'd love to say it was a, a labour of, of great love and long gestation, but it wasn't. It was done very, very quickly. I know. And then you did, but I'm fascinated to see what's come of it. And it's, it's I think Jack's work, and it was beautiful. And uh, to be fair, we haven't collaborated in that sense very much. As soon as I saw the first picture, I thought, yeah, that's going to be fine. Let, let Jack get on with that. I trust him entirely. Let him get on. And the, the thing that he sent back, which I received last week, it's beautiful. I mean, it, it, it's, it's like a, a, a using of the, the pictures that he put in that video. Um, and it, it did, I, I, I sat, I remember the weekend that went out and I thought, why? It, the numbers kept going up and up and up and up and up and up and up of the, of the people who viewed that. I don't know what the final count sits now at because I've stopped. I think it up. sits round about now, somewhere around about kind of 16,000. Yeah. Uh, and um, if, if that's... Views. If that's helped, it's quite. I I high. don't actually think, to be fair and to be honest, the comment I got back was, uh, it helped grandparents. Do you know? It 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 wasn't yes. about the children. No, it wasn't about the children. It, it, it was, was the grandparents it, it was who were finding it. Um, it was meant to be for grandparents, exactly. Yeah, and that's, um, that's and they can they can then read it to their children. Yeah, but they got a lot of consolation from it. And, was, and actually, I, I, it, one of those things that I'm also being made them through feel, the window there, something. Yeah, one of those things that made them feel sad, and it's all right to be made to feel sad, to get uh, something moving in your in your system in your psyche. Because this, I'm not a grandparent, yeah. and uh, but you'll know, Albert, you because you'll have been going through this. So I, I don't know who else, but the 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 heartbreak that I was hearing of people who could not hug their children. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think one of my favorite, um, uh, what is it, memes? Yeah, I, I'm a paper and pencil man, but I understand they call them memes. You young people call them memes. But somebody <laughs> developed a shower curtain so a granny could hug her grandson safely. Did, did you see that? She could put her hands so yeah. it was hung up on the... Yeah. And, and so, yeah. this stuff is real, you know, this stuff really... This stuff really matters. So funny enough, it, it wasn't the, the children who were particularly attracted to it. It was the grandparents who were attracted to it. If it does a good job, it's great. It's great. I'm very pleased with it. And I, I think the artwork is absolutely My, my favourite uh, line from it, Alec, was the bit where it rhymes. It's like a classic sort of wee fairy tale sort of line that sort of bounces along like it's a musical. Right, uh, things are strange and difficult. In fact, they're really bad. But there's something in the Bible that people like to say: "You see, low it came to pass; it doesn't come to stay." And I just I feel like that really sums up like, a lot of folk are feeling. It's lovely. That it needed to be back in the hope. That that line it says in the Bible that it came. I can to pass. show you pages from it, but I'm not sure I can do that. That line that says it came to pass and doesn't give a stay. Some of you will remember if I say the word Jack Lamb. Do you remember Jack Lamb, Albert? Yeah, absolutely. Jack Lamb was now a minister in Belfast. That was one of his favourite things. Uh, and it came to pass not to stay. He was saying that all the time. And it becomes one of these ministerial cliches. That, that was his. Uh, and actually, they stick with you. And they're cliched because they're true. Yeah, and, and suddenly, they come bubbling out when you need them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen, guys, if we move from, we will be at some point coming back to talk more about um, the possibility. I know that we're hoping to maybe have a sequel to this 
but I thought uh, if we could maybe just look at some, have a discussion around some of um, James's prayers and reflections this week. Uh, does anyone want to make a comment on what, where they've been taking you and how you've been feeling about them? Oh, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a big list here, James. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm in trouble, me, Laura. I'm in trouble. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh God, it was the um, there was there was two in particular. The um, so you would have known the one the one that kind of really stuck out for me first was the donkeys beat war horses. Oh yeah, and, you know because. You know, our God is a God of donkeys. And that really connected with me because, you know, like my, my ponies are, are cobs. You know, they're no fancy racehorses or big flashy Parisians. But, you know, good wee workers, you know, solid. <laughs> solid and honest and friendly and safe. You know, you don't get any of the kind of flightiness or, you know, the showiness. They're just, just, they're just nice, you know, just nice, good, good, good wee horses. <laughs> Frisians, not coos. No, you get Frisian cows as well, but you also oh, get Frisian right. horses. Yeah. They're, they're big, yeah, they're black with big manes, you know, and oh, they're flashy. <laughs> 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 that was, that was what I really loved. I loved this, how our God is a God of donkeys. And do you, Do you know, know what? that's what most days are, isn't it? Most days are, are donkeys. And, and that's okay, that, that's really good. <laughs> do you know, do you know, there's a lovely, if, if you ever get a chance to listen to, on YouTube, Arthur Blessett, who was the hippie minister that came to Scotland in the, in the, the early 70s uh, with the Jesus movement, uh, he still he carried the cross around the world and he still does it. And he's, he's in his 70s now. But a, a few years ago, he put together a video and you should check it out on YouTube. But it's a very moving video where he talks about his life and carrying the cross. And at the end, he says, talking about things, he says, you know, I, I would rather be a donkey for Jesus. You know, and he's talking about just the donkey carrying Jesus and, uh, and that he would rather be a donkey for Jesus. Uh, and thinking about that, that got me thinking too, when you were talking about that, James, is I, I mentioned it in one of the, the comments, and, you know, in the catacombs in, in Rome, there is graffiti on the wall where it says Alexandra eh, worships, uh, uh, worships a, a donkey god, you know, and the, the, there's a picture of Jesus, uh, supposedly the cross and, it's, and, and a donkey on a cross. In other words, only, only what kind of God, what kind of God would allow himself to be crucified? Why? But to, to, to me, though, it was more about the, the ordinariness and the all-pervasive nature of faith and, and of Christ. To me, it was the idea that, you know, Jesus just walks with you in an unglamorous way. You know, I'm not sure the Calvinistic part of me really trusts the the flat. I, I, I love spectacle and and all that, but actually I think it's, it, to me, it, it brought home that image of just the ever-present God that just does like normal stuff. And I remember there was an old song when I was at a primary school or, or, or um, Sunday school, and it was, um, 
Do you know, it's some, something about, you know, doing the dishes, Lord, we do it in your name, you know, or <laughs> wiping the floor, we do it in your name. And it was all these mundane tasks that you do in God's name. And, and, and it led me to think, this whole thing led me to think about, you know, all the people who are actual heroes and, and are unsung, mm. you know, the, the, the people who, who wipe people's bottoms in nursing homes and, do you know what I mean? They don't do Hollywood yeah. movies about these guys. Oh, I know. Do you know what I mean? People that, that we should be celebrating, <clears throat> you know, really. Absolutely. And, and, and coronavirus has brought that home to all of us, hasn't it? It's brought it home the fact that the simple art, you know, the simple art of just mm-hmm. caring for somebody, that's a real hero. A real hero is the person that wipes, risks their life to wipe a fevered brow or to hold somebody's hand in a time of distress. It's a nothing gesture. It demands no great, you, you don't have to jump over a, a, a foxhole with, you know, with a, a gun in your hand and hand grenades in your pocket to risk your life. You don't have to do any of these things. And that to me is what that spoke of. It's the mm. Jesus that just does ordinary things. The ordinary thing like Alex said of, how are you? But how actually are you? Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's heroic, man. That's, that's heroic. Because you don't know what they're going to get back, do you? I know. And you need to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what I think this time, I think it's kind of re- reorientated people, you know, where, you know, it was the, the flashy things that people were looking to, you know, the, you know, like, the, the glamorous world, you know, and it's like, that's what they aspire to as well, you know, it's like, oh, you know, that's what I want to be, and it's like, this time, it's like, it's, we're having to be authentic, you know, it's like, everything's stripped away, and we're having to be authentic, and being real, and just act, and it is celebrating the normal, <clears throat> and what really matters, and what really counts, mm. Aye, and that is the people that are willing to go, you know, and risk everything, you know, just to give people dignity. James, I, I loved your, uh, I loved the one about the gown interwoven with gold. Um, to the weaver, tailor, embroiderer of all that is seen and unseen, we ask for more gowns interwoven with gold for the hurt, the lost, the weary. We ask for intricate brocade sleeves for those who have been turned heartlessly away. May those who have been diminished or admonished be crowned with ornate cascading headpieces, cherished and catching the light, and may they be beloved and important, born with dignity and pride. Treat treat with splendor those who have dealt with callous indifference, splendor and more splendor. Amen. I thought that was just quite wonderful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It's funny actually that you mentioned that one as well because with both of those, 
pieces with the donkey one and that one it was really one thing that struck me you know reading through again you can tell the link it's like to one verse each time and i was talking to you before albert um earlier this week about the sort of as i've been working sanctuary first and doing things over the years i think i've kind of settled into it particularly with this whole lectionary thing about how you know readings come back around again you know like you don't have to every time you come to a topic cover everything you might want to say about it and i don't have to go into you know like when we develop the themes we shape like possible ways things can go but it's okay to just come before a text and uh, and just see what's the thing that gets you um and so it was that line with gold woven robes and i was thinking and i suppose a bit like with the donkeys there it's like where where do we actually want to give the respect you know where do we actually want to adore and who are the people who are cherished and valuable but but perhaps don't know it or have been um not allowed to see that themselves. I, my, my favourite was the bucket because that that's kind of my life, right? <laughs> because I'm the I'm the guy that's like, oh, John, you know, you're looking great tonight. And she's like, no, no, you're, you're really honestly, you're, there's something special about you. What are you after? <laughs> I'm very keen for you and uh, you know, Joe to read it out. That would be great. I mean, that, the bucket was could be written for Jonah. She's the one that says, "Have you parked the car under it?" Ian, do you do you do you have it handy there? Could you read it out for us? <laughs> Let's hear it for those who maybe are not aware of this I, one. I do have it. It says, "Don't you hate it when you're sitting around minding your business?" I'll try and play Joanne's part, right? Um, <laughs> minding your business, not bothering anyone, and suddenly, out of nowhere, your beloved swans in with a harebrained scream. Scheme. Um, this is me, right? Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. Hey, give us a minute. I'm doing a bit of toast here. That, that's my very best Joanne impression. Joanne, see how I'm better at doing me. <laughs> but, but my beloved, the winter is past and... Yes, I know, but I just boiled the kettle and the toast is going cold. But think, the flowers on the earth. I know my hay fever is going mad. A season of singing. A season of sneezing, more like. <laughs> but, but, the doves are cooing. Good for them. <laughs> they are heard, heard all over the land. Hang on. Are they in the chestnut tree? <laughs> all over the land, my love. Yes, but are they in the chestnut tree? <laughs> all over the land, my love. Aye, but are they in the chestnut tree? All over the land, my love. Yes, did you park the car under it? Eh, eh, what, eh, what needs of chariots have we? Never mind chariots. Did you park our car under the chestnut tree which always gets full of birds? The chariot? No. Our Renault Cleo. Did you or did you not park it under the pigeon tree? Doves. <laughs> Pigeons. Cooing doves. They do more than coo. I was three hours scrubbing it all off last time you parked under that tree. But my love, the flowers, the doves, the things. You did, didn't you? Parked it right under the pigeons when I've asked you time and again not to. Did you hear I said the things are in? Yeah, brilliant. Whoop me too for the pig, for the things. But did you park? Okay, 
I'll move it, I'm going. <laughs> well, you're forgetting something. What? You'll need a sponge and a bucket. <laughs> See, once you've cleaned it up. Yes. We could go for a nice wee drive out to the park, maybe. Mind the big one where we, you ask me out, and then we can get those figs, can we? Yes. But for now, just let me have my toast. Right, oh, I'll move it. Oi, you're forgetting. Bucket. Bucket. Sometimes our lives are flushed with the romance of flowers and figs and doves, and sometimes it's allergies, pigeons and buckets. But whether it be walks in the park or sneezing and scrubbing, the cult adventures there with our loved ones and with the one who loves us more than all. Fantastic. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I did a very good job of Joanne because she was kind of a lot more harsh and I'll be honest with you and, and to give her a place her language be, would be more colourful <laughs> I loved how uh, you, she was all high and then, then she, she dropped really low at one point to get <laughs> that's true to life that's with me getting into cat I'm a method actor I'm bringing it to the floor <laughs> Oh dear, priceless. I know. You going to that podcast again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're in for it now. <laughs> Do you think God sometimes treats us a wee bit like that when we become ever so holy in our prayers? Definitely. You know, you know where we're becoming ever holy, sanctimonious, close to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm I sure. Do you know what I think? So I think God, I mean, you know, God has got to be, God has got to be God of the actual reality of the stones, of the woodwork, of the, mm. do you know what I mean? God has got to be grounded in, in the real, as well as existing outside the real, as well mm. as existing outside of time and space. God has also got to be affecting time and space. Yeah, you know, I think there's an interesting problem. Um, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's an interesting... Um, yes, I think it's a problem. I think it's a danger. And that is, uh, and it goes back to this thing about donkeys and goes back to this thing about uh, the language with which we praise those in whom we have found enormous reason to be grateful. Mm. That is a kind of romantic distancing from the re reality. One of the best jokes I heard this week was that when it comes time for the MPs pay rise next year, we're not going to pay them anymore. We're just going to go to Westminster and applaud for a minute on a Thursday evening. <laughs> Be because that, um, that kind of... Um, uh, and it goes to this thing you're saying, Albert, about you think God becomes tired with our... Well, it says it in the Bible, isn't he? I don't want your, your sacrifices. I don't want your... Uh -huh. Um, Micah, you know, this is what, what I require is. Um, we are as much in danger as anyone of becoming so flowery in our praise that we actually therefore isolate ourselves from our uh, duty. If you want to be pious, call it prophetic duty. You know, mm -hmm. to make sure mm -hmm. that the recognition goes beyond that. Aren't these folks wonderful? You know? Um, Vera Lynn was buried this week. Bless Vera Lynn. She had one hit, you know, but she was a, it's that kind of thing. She, you know, I was she, really she, sad about that. I thought that was a, a real shame. Vera. Yeah, she, died, she had a right old age. I was sad yeah. at first. 
you know, yeah. but then I was like, he was 90 odd. There's nothing yeah. to be sad about. That's a full life, you know. Of course it is. And, and But I mean, the point is that she becomes a symbol for a whole lot more. But it's all concentrated. Rather like, and he's a wonderful fellow, that man that walked 500 times around his garden. And suddenly we're all on just giving pages to, uh, because it, it moves us to feel good about the NHS. Hold on. Tell you what, we'll use his money to buy the aircraft carriers and we'll actually put the taxpayers' money into the NHS. There's always a danger, I may be old and cynical, but there is always a danger of using our language and our appreciation as a smokescreen to, um, uh, to keep us from actually dealing with some hard issues, which Ian was talking about earlier on in the NHS, there are hard issues. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, it, it spills over also into things like the 100th celebration of the end of the First World War, the 75th celebration of VE Day. Uh, we have to be very careful about how these things spill over into um, a kind of political opium for the masses, if I can be a bit Marxist and grand about it. Mm. Do, do I, I'm profoundly uncomfortable about some of that stuff. And the church tends to be because we're wordsmiths and because we work with words. We, we, we are in danger of being like that if we're not very careful. I mean, I'm, I might be reading that wrongly, but it's, it's always a danger that I think um, a, a great testimonial when someone is hungry. Mm. We, we're great at testimonials. The people are hungry. I know, absolutely, Alec. Alec, you're absolutely right, because God is the God of the real, you know. You've got to say things in normal person's language and, and actually speak truth to power. You've got to say how things actually are, mm -hmm. you know. And, 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 you know, somebody says something to me this week about, you know, seeing yourself as other people see, I think. Yeah. You often don't see yourself, and God, but God actually sees us as we are. Yeah. God has to. If God is real, then God has to see us as we actually are. No ears or graces, you know. Um, it's, just it's interesting. It, even the way, I mean, I remember being promised that we would have a world-beating test and track service oh. for this. I don't want a world-beating one. I want a COVID-beating one. Yeah. You know, but because you put world-beating one on it, uh, you, you, you hype up the language and, and you're, you're smuggling mm -hmm. something else in there. And... I just think it's a danger that we all have to be aware of about getting caught up in the romance of how wonderful people are who've done these jobs. And I wonder whether in a year's time we really will be appreciating them. No, they will Because, because the, the, the history would suggest that actually, you know, um, it's, um, it, buddy, can you spare a dime? Once I build a railroad, uh, buddy, can you spare a dime? I, I went marching to war, buddy, can you spare a dime? You know, that song that came out, the great... Mm. Depression written by uh, <clears throat> guys that wrote Over the Rainbow. Um, can't remember now. But it, it's, it's that kind of thing that you, you think, or we think, and we hope that we're going to be more appreciative in the future. History suggests that we won't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we can always hope. We, we can hope, but I think we. You know, it was interesting. You, you mentioned um, a bit earlier, Alex. That um, to go for people, they benefit from their perspective of sort of joy and happiness when they go through a little bit of grief. 
mm. and suffering. You know, it does change your perspective on life. Whereas you can, it, it, and it begs the question, can you really truly reach a point of real happiness and sort of clarity without ever having any grief in your life at all? You know, not Tibetan, not to say that all grief is therefore good, because of course it isn't, but um, it's because we, we talked about it in our um, book club this week. In a short, mm. there was a fairy tale, a young man uh, dies at the beginning of the book. And basically he is, three days before his death, he has a dream instead where he goes through the journey that he would have otherwise taken in his life. And this is supposed to be the sort of, the comeuppance of his, of his death, but it, it, it sort of, it doesn't really feel right to me. It, it feels sort of somewhat divorced from reality, that um, people can sort of distance themselves from the joy of looking for happiness, yet they don't really realize that it's a fleeting thing. It can only ever be a fleeting thing. And so must suffering also be only a fleeting thing. Jack, to an extent, this is a bit of a Western malaise, though, because in the Western world, we are protected from so many things. You know, we think we understand poverty. Uh, we, uh, you know, political language conflates so many things which are, you know, which are meant to be real but are, are not real in other places. I mean, I work in a place mm. tremendously poor and I've seen really, really very poor people and, you know, people really genuinely struggling, um, but they don't live in the open air on a rubbish tip in Peru. They don't, all right? These two things are not the same thing. No. Um, and that's the, ab that, there's a fact. Now, and, but the other miraculous thing about that is that actually what you have round about you has no, I mean, there have been studies done on this, it has no bearing in human happiness at all. It doesn't have any bearing in mm. human happiness. Human beings are happy when they're with other human beings. That's a scientific fact. Where, where they become unhappy is where they become estranged and apart from other human beings. Uh, and that's another scientific fact. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think the language that we use is, I think it is important and, and I don't do heroes. I, I, I've never in my life been able to do heroes. I don't know why, maybe it's my father or something, I don't know, but I, I just can't bring myself to do heroes. Um, I, I just see people as people with their faults and their flaws and myself, I, you know, I, I don't think of myself as anything particularly special other than just a dude that does stuff that he does and then comes home and annoys his wife. That's kind of pretty much what I do, really. <laughs> yeah, but you're good at it, Ian. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the annoying part of it, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> Listen, what did you folks think about um, the one today, which I thought uh, was quite powerful? Bridging the divide. the divide. Oh yes, that was what I hoped we were going to talk about this one. <laughs> uh, that thinking about, you know, as we've been thinking about language, you know, that um, get over it, and then I, I, I completely thought of that completely different after reading that. You know, and this thinking about the drawbridge, you know, going up, you know, and down, and that we're supposed to, you know, actually get. Get over the bridge, you know, so as they can <laughs> each other. And I was like, oh, wow, James, that was so wise. <laughs> <laughs> Just really changed my perspective. You know, because how many times I will, I know I've said it to people, oh, just go over it. <laughs> you know, just go over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So but, Queen's free option, build a bridge and get over it. Yeah. Just, oh, that was, it was so powerful, James, so powerful. Just the image of getting, getting over that bridge, you know, understanding people, you know, and actually being able to, you know, I not not put up not put up your barriers, you know, eh, like oh no, I don't want to listen to you. I just have my own perspective. But no, we need to we need to cross that bridge to find understanding. No. Oh, I'm glad that as I say, it started just with this joke. You know, it's one of these jokes that comes around where you start really sincere and like, okay, I've been listening to you, and I think you know what you're saying is really important. <laughs> but I think now time has come. You need to build a bridge and get over it, right? <laughs> Um, and I've decided this is part of my dad joke repertoire now. Um, and so my wee one will have to face this and many more jokes in the future. Uh, but it is fun to play with kind of language and think what's behind these kind of stock phrases. When you were talking before, um, or we, we were talking before, I thought about um, George Orwell's essay, Politics in the English Language, where he talks about the idea of how we use euphemisms and things to distract from what we mean. But the sort of telling kind of twist in the essay is this idea that actually we alienate ourselves from what we're saying, which I think is totally what, you know, has been in this discussion as well, that actually if you don't, if you just use these stock phrases all the time and you just use, oh, we're just going to build a bridge now and we're just going to do this, then you're not kind of making your brain do the work of spelling it out and thinking about what actually you are wanting to do. Um, and so I think with some of this kind of language that we were discussing before, the kind of unhelpful language that we've heard in politics and elsewhere, I think it's sometimes people just just shuffling the cards. You know, like I'm fed up of the phrase, oh, it's scrabbled on the back of a fag packet. Like everyone says that all the time. I've never done it. And as far as I understand, the plasticky coating now would be it doesn't do that. Yeah. to write on. You know, it's a dead, it's a completely dead moribund metaphor. Like we have to move on from the fag packet. I like yeah. this. Um, I like this notion of the uh, of get over it. Uh, many years ago, Robin Hill and I were writing comedy sketch about uh, Calvinist self help books, and the 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 pastoral care one was uh, pull yourself together, a Calvinist a Calvinist pastoral care, and the, the Calvinism for children was called bippity boppity bunny goes to hell. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen that one. <laughs> it sold very well, and I would make a very different children's story, Alex. Jack's <laughs> already mocking up some pictures. <laughs> I, I, th I think the thing about language, though, is that language can take its places, and and doesn't it? And that whole thing about you that management speak—that's what that this said to me was like management speak. And I find myself, I find myself. And uh, goodness me, I'm sure people in my practice would say this or folk that know me, you know, when I'll say things like, right, let's just park that for a second and let's move on to in order to get motion and forward momentum and get a project off the grounds and give it legs and actually get people to do what you can see or the evidence shows but they can't yet see. But actually what that is, and, and, and that reminded me as a failure in my communication and actually explaining to them exactly what's going on. There's a guy called Marshall Rosenberg and he talks about a thing called nonviolent communication. Yeah, um, really interesting. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. It's just, just really interesting and, and worth exploring because what, what Marshall Rosenberg proposed was that we said exactly you know that human beings only ever said two things really all the all human language can be distilled into please and thank you 
Um, and that everything else was skirting around please and thank you. <laughs> and everything was an interaction. Now, I, I, I think that there's a kind of secular dimension to that, which uh, I'm comfortable with, but I don't entirely buy into. I think there are other forces at play around anything that happens in the world um, within this time space. This being said, uh, the, the lesson of nonviolent communication is perhaps clarity of what you actually mean. So somebody who's schooled in the art of nonviolent communication, never ask them if you, if, for example, uh, you know, what are you thinking? Never ask them that question because they'll give you an honest answer as to what they're actually thinking of. Never ask them, do you love me? Because they'll say, well, right at this moment, I love you. But, you know, yeah. yesterday, I, I, I'm not sure I did actually feel good to you. And, and I remember one time I, I'd, I'd done a seminar in nonviolent communication. And um, I said to Joanne, and jo Joanne said to me, she said to me, um, Ian, could you, uh, could you just do the hoovering there and I'll do the dishes? And I said, Joanne, thank you for your gift of... Um, asking me to do the hoovering. Did you get a slap? And I said, and John, I've really taken this on board. And um, I, I, I've decided that I, I think I would like to do the hoovering for you because I realise that makes you feel valued. Uh, but at the same time, I'd like to play my guitar. So if I could just maybe do the hoovering later and um, play the guitar just now, um, then we'll both be happy and we'll both be fulfilled. And John threw something at me and said, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> What on earth have you been reading today, Jamison? Yeah, hoovering you. <laughs> so, so, so I did the hoovering. So my first foray into that was not successful, um, but I commend it to the group. <laughs> you know, I had a fantastic little book that I found in an antique shop called uh, The uh, Crooked uh, Thinking. Oh, uh, right. But it was all about conversational uh, tools uh, and how people use crooked not crooked in a sort of malformed sense, but crooked sort of as in flawed arguments and uh, tools to disagree with someone in a sort of debate. And uh, it, it kind of falls into that sort of, we're talking about Ian, about the sort of non-violent sort of communication. And I've just found it, it's, it's just fascinating because people use really all sorts of bizarre things to justify their actions that don't really make sense half the time. And they're really easy to uh, fault find and, and, yeah. and say, well, that actually isn't right. And it, it's normally when someone says something that isn't, it's got a, one fallacy of mistruth in it. And it's really easy then to start to pull out the Jenga blocks in their, and their whole conversation yeah. sort of falls in its back. So you really are better off sticking uh, to the truth. Apart from when your wife asks you to do the hoovering, of course. Yeah, case, never do that. Yes, never, sir. ever, ever do that. No, no, definitely not. If there's one message to take away from today, it's that. Yeah. I'd like to give some, a sort of quick workshop in, in how language can be um, both truthful and hurtful and how it can be very searching and condemning at the same time. Mm. Tell us the story of that interesting hat you're wearing, Ian. Oh, that's that. Oh, goodness. Um, it's, it's really there to because it's comfortable and um, it covers up my massive bald head, which, which, by the way, has been the result of my beard trimmer used as the dog's clippers. <laughs> with, with better effect, as you can see. 
never, if there's one thing we've all learned in lockdown is never get your wife to cut your hair when she's cross with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> well, guys, we have come to the end of our time together this evening. It's been an interesting hour of conversation and chat. And we've been moved around a lot of topics, a lot of subjects, but uh, I found it very, very interesting and thank you for being part of it tonight and um, look forward to uh, catching up with you all again. Um, this coming weekend we've got our service on Sunday uh, at three o'clock and looking for folks to look in and be part of that service. Um, where we're going to be again thinking about just um, the traps and the struggles and what are they, how do we escape out of different situations in, in, our, in our lives as, you know, as we face difficult times? Are there traps? Are there escape routes? And how do we find them? And how does that work out? So that's what we're going to be exploring uh, this Sunday. And uh, next week, we're back to doing our um, midweek uh, coffee shop on Wednesday at, uh, from 11 o'clock to 12.30 and also our midweek evening uh, coffee shops from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I don't know if there's any book groups on this week or not. I'm not sure if there's any, any book groups on this week. Yeah, there's a, the same one, but we've changed the time. It's now 7.30 p.m. in the are gradually getting back to work, so it won't be in the day. So we figured out that if you want to come along, then 7.30 p.m. on a Thursday and uh, read the book in advance. Uh, we've got audiobooks, if not, if you don't have it in your house, and uh, come and have a chat. And if you want to come in and have a chat and be part of a Connect group, uh, there's a Connect group meets on a Tuesday night uh, at 8 o'clock. And if you want to be part of that, if you send an email to contact at Sanctuary First, we will send you the Zoom link that will allow you to come and be part of that Connect group on a Tuesday evening. So listen... A big thank you to Ray, who's kept very quiet tonight, just listening there. Thank you for uh, monitoring our, our, our discussion tonight and uh, being there to safeguard us in case we get uh, Zoomed by anyone who's not supposed to be coming in. <laughs> <laughs> or bleeping out my bad language. <laughs> yeah. Ah, she's good at that. She's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so until next week at uh, the same time, Nine o'clock. Good night and God bless. Good night. God bless. Good night. Good night.